Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. It's 1234 in Edmonton. Just want to mention Brent Ridge Ford in Wetaskiwin focused on your health and peace of mind and they're proud to be a part of ford of canada's built to lend a hand program helping their customers through these difficult times committed to social responsibility safety and supporting their valued clients through flexible financing online sales and support and even delivery and mobile service find out more about how brent ridge is a built to lend a hand by calling one 477 3673 or visiting com. Bob Stoffer with you, and uh, we're going to have some fun in the next uh, segment here as the big man himself, Louis DeBrus, joins us from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Hello, Louis. How are you? I'm doing well today, Bob. How are things with you? Oh, not bad. Not bad as well. Uh, let's get to this. Louis DeBrusque is our Oilers Now headliner, brought to you by Touchback Safety, a family business taking care of your family during uncertain times. Training sessions still readily available at Touchback Safety. Uh, what do you, you do to keep yourself busy these days, Louis? Well, it's funny you should ask, because typically I'll spend the day, well, portions of the day, kind of getting into the odd places of YouTube. You know, you'll kind of go down that rabbit hole and find yourself in places you're like, how did I get here from an hour ago when I started? But this morning through Twitter, I saw this uh, tweet that had a video. It was a game called Bandy. Have you ever heard of this game? Yes. Yeah, right. So it's like hockey, but it's on a giant ice surface, which I didn't even really know about, to be honest with you. And all I could think about was, can you you can barely contain Connor McDavid on a regular size ice surface? Can you imagine him on an ice surface that's 65 meters wide? <laughs> good luck. Yeah, good luck trying to catch him in that. Not a chance. You won't yeah, even absolutely. touch the guy. But that's no, kind no of what question. I've been doing. So- I've been kind of uh, losing myself and things like that and uh, just trying to keep busy, trying to keep active, trying to keep positive and you know what? Uh, pretty much the same as I was doing a week ago. How about you? What are you doing to keep busy? Well, we do the show every day. Uh, we're going to do a p- uh, piece coming up a little bit later on with a guy named Stephen Sandor from Avenue Magazine uh, about the fact that a Champions League match involving a team in Northern Italy 
may have led the spread to, to the spread of COVID-19. Uh, and this was before they were really uh, aware of the full ramifications of the challenges in Northern Italy. It's a pretty interesting story. It moved on Associated Press. Louis, like you, I'm on that rabbit, uh, uh, you know, that rabbit hole on YouTube a lot. Uh, a lot of World War One, World War Two uh, documentaries. Uh, you know, it's it, and there is one other sort of. And Jack Michaels often catches me doing this. Sometimes when I want to relax uh, before a game. Like, you know, I'm on the air for 90 minutes out to 60 minutes out before the game upstairs at Studio 99. You know, go by the media room, say hi to a few guys, and then pop upstairs. And just before the players hit the ice, I usually go on YouTube and watch hockey fights. Yeah, you know what? I think it's funny you should say that because I've, I've delved into a few hockey fights lately, too. It's kind of... I follow, obviously, HockeyFights.com on Twitter, and I've, I've followed them for years and been a, you know a regular visitor to their website. I wish we would have had that back in the early 90s when a new guy would come into town that didn't know if he was a lefty or a righty, how he fought, because a lot of times you were getting it secondhand from teammates that maybe played with him or against him and had no real idea of what he did as far as the fight is concerned. But there wasn't as much scouting as there has been in the last 15 years. But, um, yep. yeah, there's been a couple of real good ones. They have that big bracket of all-time fights and kind of going down that. There's been there's some doozies in there. There's some unbelievable ones, I'll tell you that. When you played, was there a guy that surprised you that way? Uh, you know, you had sort of quietly established yourself. I'd say, what, 90, 91, 92, or 92, 93, and around that time. When, when did you – you came over, obviously, in the Mark Messier trade in 1991. Yeah. Yeah, ninety one, ninety two was my first year. I played twenty five games. I think I had I don't know fifty fights that year or something. And then ninety ninety two, ninety three was my first full season. I was hurt a little bit, so I only played just over fifty games. But I think I was up in the twenties, twenty something for fights that year. Um, but you know, you kind of pretty quickly get rec- recognized as a guy that's willing to do it. But um, it was a totally different league back then, though, Bob, as you know very well. And I'll tell you, every single team had multiple guys that were very willing to do it. So it was just a different game of hockey. And, you know, listen, it was it was, it was was just the era that we were in. And that's what made it exciting at that time. It's a completely different game now. It's the fastest, most skilled game it's ever been, in my opinion, in the history of the game. It's incredible what these players today can do. I find it fascinating to see how every year it seems to get faster and more skilled. And some of the things that these players are doing today um, amaze me each night. They really do. It amazes me each right. night that I'm watching calling games. But it was a different world back then for sure. All right. Guy so that, you did have that video surprised me. Guy that surprised yeah. me. Hmm. Neil, Neil Wilkinson surprised me one night when I dropped clothes with him. Um, I think he might have been a natural lefty and kind of squared off as a right-handed fighter. And he hit me square with a left jab when I tried to shoot in and grab him. He... Uh, caught me pretty good too probably didn't even realize how good he caught me but it didn't seem like much but with my momentum going forward and the jab coming out hit me right in the button and uh <laughs> he kind of wobbled me for a couple of seconds before i got my bearings and back into the fight but yeah you know guys like that that you know you maybe didn't fight a whole ton have been around but you just like i said you just didn't have that scouting report on guys that you know what they did at the start of fights, how they squared off, how they grabbed, did they crash grab, did they throw lefts, were they willing to throw lefts, how strong was their left? I mean, there was so much that went into it. And a lot of times, you were figuring that out on the fly, and sometimes in not a great way. <laughs> I can tell yeah. you that. But, yeah. Well, you know nineteen eighty-six. Uh, yeah, eighty-six to ninety-two. Louis was uh, the people think of the Broad Street Bullies in the seventies. 
But actually, 86 to 92 was the proliferation of the arms race when it came to fighting in the National Hockey League. There were more fights during those years than any other time. I remember with you, uh, back-to-back nights on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights, uh, you, you went into Toronto, and I think you beat up Drake Barahowski pretty badly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then came back, in, and then they, and then Bob McGill, who was not a big guy, but Bob McGill, you ended up fighting him, and you did a number on him, and I'm like, okay, I'm liking this, because first of all, I... I liked the Leafs when Dave Keon played for them in like 73, 74, but quickly became a Canadiens fan. And I'd already developed a little bit of a, a personal bias against Toronto, and you, you filled in a couple of their guys. But I remember the one with Barahowski in particular. There were uh, there, there was a little bit of frustration for how badly you worked him over. Well, you know, it's amazing because I, I, I've always felt that I was pretty honest in that regard with the guys that I fought. You know, and I didn't, you know, when, I, when you looked, over the course of my career, I mean, I wasn't going to turn down a fight, but I didn't necessarily go looking for fights that I, with guys that I didn't think that fought that much. You know, I might get aggressive with them or play the role, so to speak, but I wouldn't wouldn't be looking to drop the gloves with them. Um, from what I understand about the fight with Drake Berhowski is that they were giving him a little bit of trouble at that time that he wasn't playing tough enough. He was a big guy, and I played junior against him. And, you know, in the Ontario Hockey League. And so I knew all about him, but I never really looked at him as a guy that was necessarily a tough guy. Now, he ended up playing for the Oilers, and he had, I think, 25 fights to one year or more than that. He ended up really becoming much better at the skill, which I've always said, for me, those guys are sometimes some of the most dangerous guys that learn how to fight as they go because you're learning the hard way. But anyway, I guess they've been giving him the gears a little bit about playing a little tougher and we go in there, and I was playing with Peter Freeman and Todd Ellick at the time. Ted Green had put me up on that line and said, make sure nobody does any of those guys. And all of a sudden, he bumps into me. I give him a little shot, and his gloves are off. He wanted to fight. So I took the fight, and, yeah, I worked them over pretty good in the fight. And the following Saturday, they injected Bob McGill into the lineup. They had Ken Baumgart in the lineup as well, a few tough guys. Like I said, it was a different era then, and they had, had multiple tough guys. And I remember walking up to Dave Manson, who played with, with Bob McGill, in Chicago, because I knew Bob McGill had been around for a long time, and he fought everybody in the league. So I knew he was a scrap, real scrappy guy and a real tough guy, and I had a ton of respect for him. But I said, hey, you know, what should I do against this guy? Like, I, I have no real feel on what I should do. And at that time, Dave Manson had already been punched in the throat by Sergio Lomeso, so he kind of talked like this. Then he said, just grab him right in the middle of his jersey and start throwing. <laughs> That was his advice to me. <laughs> so no real skill set. Just grab him in the middle of his jersey and start chucking. So we took minors together. We went into the penalty box. When we came out, we squared up the center ice, and that's exactly what I did. I grabbed him right in the middle of his jersey and just started chucking. So, And it worked out okay for me. He caught me with one. I think he caught me with the right hand. He hit me with a little nick on my uh, cheekbone. But, um, you know, it was a pretty spirited, quick fight, no question about that. But, you know, that was the difference back then, right? It was beefed up a little bit. There was, if something happened a game before, there was no question it was going to happen again the next game. And we saw a little bit of that this year with the Battle of Alberta. You know, that animosity carried over. And, you know, it, it, we all know what happened in those games. It was, it was old-time hockey and uh, a little blast of the past, for sure, in those two games. Did you just, uh, you know, you're a Rangers property at the time uh, during the course of the 91 playoffs when Edmonton played Calgary. Did you stay up late to watch those games? Because that was like rollerball on ice, man. I mean, you had, it was, that was as nat, like, and, and it played a factor in the Oilers. I mean, people forget this, and 
it's funny i had somebody from i put my all-time oilers team out on the list and uh you know, upon further review, if there was one player that maybe I should have considered having somewhere in the top nine, it should have been Craig Simpson because Craig was a money player. He was a terrific playoff performer for the Oilers uh, until last year. He was the you know, last Oilers player to score 50 in the season, though technically didn't get all 50 at Edmonton. Uh, but I think you know what, though? It's funny. I saw, I saw some of that exchange, actually, and someone had said something. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Called him soft. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He I mean, did you, see, did you see the abuse that guy took in front of that yeah. to score goals? <laughs> like, I mean, I don't think people truly realize when we called it the tough area to go to back then, it was a really tough area to go to. When you went to the front of the net, you got worked over. And it didn't matter who you were. The cross-checks were allowed. The slashes were allowed. And I'm not talking little bumping cross-checks like here's a little tap to let you know that I'm here. It was I'm going to try and break your back. That's how hard the cross-checks were. And literally, he suffered back injuries because of those cross-checks. You know, he, he suffered back injuries and still to this day has to be very careful because of the abuse that he took in front of the net. So I, I have a total different opinion of guys who are willing to Ryan Smith's in the world and Craig Simpson's in the world that were willing to go right to the front of the net and get worked over very aggressively. Let's put it this way. That's the way I tell my kid to play. I want my kid to go to the front of the net and take that abuse because that's yeah. where you score goals and that's where you have to pay the price to score them. But I agree with that one for sure. I think that uh, one of the best one-timers I ever saw, some of the best hand-eye coordination I've ever seen in the game playing with Craig Simpson, some of the things they would do after practice, it was ridiculous what they could do with the puck. Well, uh, him, Glenn Anderson, and Mark Messi, and I, I brought this up with people before. When Messi got hurt during the 85-86 season, the Oilers had a couple games really between Chicago and Toronto that year where Glenn Anderson played with Curry and Gretzky, and they were unstoppable. Like, they scored six or seven goals in the game because Glenn Anderson could beat you by himself as well. Everybody thinks of the Anderson-Messier combination, and people forget that when the Oilers played the Islanders back in 81, Mark Messier was a left winger coming off a 50-goal campaign. Matty Hagman was their center. But back to that 91 series, Louis. Uh, that was Mark Messier got hurt in that playoff series against Calgary, had no juice left when Edmonton played with the Minnesota uh, North Stars in round three. Um, but it, it, guys just, I mean, obviously you had the Dave Brown incident with Jim Kite. You know, you had a five-on-five five Where he line. started the lawnmower? When he, where he started the great Darren Detition line where he started the lawnmower. I mean, that was, I had friends that, that I used to work with, as you know, in reforestation industry, Louie, and they were calling me. And this is not when we had cell phones. So they were calling at like 2.30 in the morning out east. That's the greatest hockey game I've ever liked because yeah. it was so nasty and, between Evans and, and Calgary. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I remember, I always remember those because, you know, that was kind of when I started coming up through junior, and that's when I did start to pay attention to you know, fight tapes. You know, I started to watch tapes. I started to break down fighters and see how they fought, try and do some things that they were doing on the ice. When I was in junior, I'd try and implement, just like any other skill set you would try and um, get better at. I tried to get better at fighting. So I would I would literally watch tapes. I'd go down the basement. We had a jersey wrapped around a heavy bag. We'd grab onto it. We would, you know, try and get buckets off in junior B. We, we would learn how to take the helmet off before. I mean, just crazy things like that. But I'll tell you what, um, back then when, when gloves were dropped, everybody dropped the gloves. Like, it wasn't just one person. I mean, they finally made the rule about the second fight. But I'll tell right. you what, but if you go back and look at those old videos, 
one guy shed the gloves with another guy, everybody dropped the gloves and came in. And a lot of times it led to a five on five or at least two or three different fights. It was incredible. I mean, it was just, uh, like I said, a whole different animal. So even in the era that I played, and I think that as that became even more of a skill set, I think the fighters became more trained. Um, bigger, stronger, faster, just like everybody else in the game. I think the tough guys, when you get to the Derek Bugard era with the guys like Brian McGratton and Colt Nor, I mean, all these guys, you can go down the list of, you know, that were big-time heavyweights and tough in any era. They were trained fighters. And uh, um, I think as tough as anybody in the history of the game, but back then, I think the fights had a little bit more of a raw emotion, you know, to them. And it was just... He never knew it was going to happen, and that series was exactly that. You didn't know it was going to happen from shift to shift to game to game to period. It was just um, some of the best hockey played at that time and some of the most vicious hockey played at that time as well. Well, people forget, even when the Oilers swept the Calgary Flames in 1988, you know, Dana Merzen was fighting Steve Smith with under five minutes left in the fourth game. Like, it could literally happen. You'd think at that point it's over, and it wasn't over. In fact, you can text us at 780-496-0063. Was the Oilers-Calgary series in 91, was that the best playoff series that Edmonton played in that didn't result in winning a Stanley Cup? In other words, I mean, look, we all remember Montreal in 81, if you're from Edmonton of a certain era. A lot of people will say, well, what about, you know, knocking off uh, Detroit in, in 2006? But I'd like to find out from you, what was your favorite non-Stanley Cup playoff uh, championship winning series? Because for me, that 91 playoff series yeah. was as ugly and as nasty and as beautiful as you could get. Louis DeBrusque is our guest. Chuck says Bob. Louis is the best. Louis, we're going to switch to the here and now. We're not sure what's going to happen. We're not sure if we're... At this stage of the game, I'd say it might be problematic to play any more regular season games if we can't be up and running until late May, early June. Who knows if we're even going to get a chance to play. Um, how quickly do you think today's player, how challenging do you think it is for today's player to get back up and running? How hard do you think guys are working off the ice? You know, because this is, I mean, we, we've now been two weeks without guys being able, I would assume, without being able to skate and that sort of thing. It's a good question, and I think it's a concern um, for sure. There's a, it's a concern, number one, from injuries. I, I would suspect that players are going to be a little concerned with injuries, but I don't think the guys have done a ton of exercising up until this point in time, but I think they'll start. I think as this thing, if it does, and we stay positive and it does start to clear up where it looks like there's some light at the end of the tunnel and they're going to start getting back to business as usual, then then they'll start to ratchet up that training. But we've talked about this before. There's going to have to be some sort of a transitional period where they step in, go through some testing, go through some skating, go through some workouts, and get themselves ready to ratchet it up for what would probably be a couple-month-long trek for the team that keeps going. So um, these guys, these guys never really get completely out of shape, though, Bob. It's not like it used to be. So I think that that turnaround will be quicker in today's game just because I just think they're so much more aware of, of what it takes to stay in that top condition. They're more conditioned than we ever were. Yes, we were in great shape, but these guys, it's 365 days of the year. It's amazing if these guys even take a month off in the summertime. You know, that's even, I would say, on the long 
long long stretch for players to take off nowadays. I think it's important to take that time off, but then you're right back to work again, and it only takes you a couple of weeks to get back up and running to where you were before and uh, start to gain on strength. So I would say two weeks. I, I, that's what I'm going to say. I think, I think if the guys stay in relatively solid shape where they're just starting to maintain that and, and make sure they're keeping that strength up and keeping some, some cardio, some conditioning up, um, stick handling wherever they can, and that, that can be done in a garage. It can be done in a basement. It can be done anywhere to keep your hands busy. It's just a matter of getting back and putting it all together, getting the timing down. And usually, it's that one. I would say two weeks. Two weeks is that period of time for me where that first week get the rust out, and that second week you start to feel good, and then away you go. Uh, we are joined by Louis DeBrusque, our Oilers now headliner for Touchback Safety, a family business taking care of your family during uncertain times. Training sessions still readily available at touchback safety so you told me you were hitting up youtube uh have you found uh, any sort of guilty pleasures on netflix or anything like that well i really started to get into and i'm starting to crush that series the hunters um you know i'll tell you what it's uh it comes out right out of the gate it's just one of those shows that just grabs you right away you're like wow this is crazy how this starts off and uh just a, a wild ride, that's for sure. I think I'm in episode six, so that's that's been something that I've. Uh, What's it about? You know, guilty pleasure of mine. Well, it's it's about German the Nazis coming over after the war, after Hitler was uh, dethroned, um, being brought over to the United States and put into high positions. The scientists, the Nazis, and then a group of um, a Jewish group gets together and starts to hunt them down, more or less. I guess that's the only way I can really sum it up. And it's just, uh, it's a war that goes on on U.S. grounds, and it's behind the scenes, and it's kind of a little bit, uh, um, you know, kind of under the radar type of thing. So it's just a lot of, like, spy stuff and trying to figure each other out. And it's set back, back in, um, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, it's kind of... Uh, that's that's my take on it anyway, but it's, it's pretty wild. I'll tell you what, it's pretty crazy. The other they thing should have gone Argentina because uh, a lot of Germans ended up in Argentina after the Second World War as well. So, Louis. Another thing, too, that I'm really going to follow is this Quang Tran guy, this guy that cooks food on uh, on YouTube. I've had it start to watch it, so I'll get up and try. I think I'm going to try some of his recipes because he's really funny, so check him out. He's pretty funny, too. He's from Edmonton, I believe. We told you we were going to go all over the map today, Louis. Thanks yeah. for that. All right. Take care, bud. All right. That is Louis DeBrus from NHL Hockey on Rogers. Steve texts the show to say, always enjoy having Louis uh, on the show uh, and enjoyed having him uh, on the ice back in the day when he played with the Oilers as well. I don't know. For me, the 1991 playoff series, and maybe it was just a byproduct of being in my mid-20s at that time. The Flames have won the Cup in 89. The Oilers have won the Cup in 1990. Um you know, Edmonton seemingly pulled off, I wouldn't call it an upset in 88. I know Calgary finished ahead of uh, ahead of uh, the Oilers in 88. The Oilers swept them in four straight. Obviously, Wayne Gretzky's uh, overtime goal in game two. Wayne says that's the biggest goal he ever scored as an NHL player. Uh, 89, you know, Flames won the cup, knocked off the Canadians after the LA Kings rallied from 3-1 down. 1990, the Oilers, uh, conversely, uh, end up rallying from 3-1 down against the Winnipeg Jets and uh, on route knock off uh, L.A. in fourth straight. 
get past Chicago in six games. Mark Messier was brilliant in that series, and the Oilers go on and win the 1990 Stanley Cup. Bill Ranford played a big part of that. And so you had Calgary and Edmonton beat in the 91 playoffs, and it was nasty, and it was beautiful. Uh, this texter says, Louis is right. Hunters is awesome. And, Bob, the most passionate Oilers-Flames fight this year was Nugent Hopkins against Sean Monaghan. A couple guys getting outside of their comfort zone. Absolutely. Off to uh, ongoing COVID-19 coverage with a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And for Canadian Power Pack, Brian Burke coming up when we return on Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.